name's Kelly Walters, and I like to say whenever I get to speak that I'm not the pastor, and that way you can't leave the church because of me. Um, our pastor, Matt, is not here, but he will be soon to rescue the situation. And, uh, and so maybe one of you can take the responsibility if there's any kind of um, heresy that's uh, spoken during this meeting, um, during this session, uh, by someone who's speaking, um, then someone may need, maybe needs to take that responsibility to come up and grab the mic from me and disavow everything that was said. Hopefully that won't happen, but Richard, maybe I'll assign you, okay, to take that role, because we're going to be talking about that. Um, so turn with me to the book of Colossians, if you're not already there, and we're going to start with this. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. Let's pray. Father, I pray with those of us who are here, those of us who are watching online, that you would open our eyes to see deception, to see hollow and empty philosophies based on the principles of this world rather than on you, and help us to turn our eyes to you and get on track where you are. Amen. I was thinking right before I came up here, if I were to speak any message oh, in, during the last two years, this would be it. And so I want, you to, I want to say that to you begin, to begin with, for you to kind of feel the weight of it in, from my perspective, and maybe it will speak something for you. Four weeks ago, Matt spoke about the deception of conspiracy theories. And last week, Tracy warned against the deception of idolization of ideologies. It's a mouthful. But it's good. Today, we're going to look at three different forms of religious deception. So why are we spending so much time warning against getting off track or falling away for Christ? Aren't we believers? Aren't we in good places? First of all, in many respects, the reason we're doing this is because the purpose of the letter of Colossians uh, is, um, is why Paul wrote to that church, the central theme is the supremacy and the sufficiency of Christ. But it's in the context of a response to a heresy that was going on in that church at that time. It may seem surprising that this young church, have you ever thought about this? A young church just fairly recently removed from the life of Christ, less than 30 years later from the life and the death and the resurrection of Christ, would be vulnerable to deception. Have you ever thought about that? And not just that church, but many churches were vulnerable to deception. We would like to think that once an individual like me or you or a group like us, once we get a revelation of the gospel, then we're going to stay, stay true to that narrow way without any deviation. However, the record of the Old Testament, the New Testament, church history, and some of our own personal experience in history shows another story. Rather than assuring us, it should serve as a warning of how careful we must be. That's what this morning's about. Perhaps the other reason we're talking about so much about deception is because we need it. And I think this call to guard against deception is greater now than ever. I was telling Matt the other day that in my 40 years, which makes me 
older than some of you, of being involved in the church locally and watching the trends and the movements of the church nationally, I have never seen so much of the church getting off the rails. Unfortunately, it has not been just one heresy or one cultural compromise. It's come from all kinds of angles and sources. I've seen churches and individuals seduced by excess and error from the theological left, the theological right, the political left, the political right, and the response to the pandemic, among other things. The fundamental problem has not been people having different opinions. The problem has been when ideas and ideologies get mixed in with the gospel and create a different gospel. I got a thumbs up from some, someone. That generates the same passion and devotion that should be reserved for Christ alone. That's where the problem is. These ideologies also affect our ability to think critically. I believe in this nation we have a crisis of thinking, a crisis of truth. And it causes us to, to lose our ability to display the fruits of the Spirit. When this happens, a church ends up presenting a witness to the world that is not Christ-like at all. Have you seen that? We're living in that time. My purpose today, though, is not to rant against certain churches or leaders that have gotten off track. I wish the problem was just those people out there. Unfortunately, the problem has often been in our own hearts and attitudes. Diana and I have never had to fight so hard to avoid getting caught up in the rage, the mockery, the contempt for others. We have also at times been overwhelmed with discouragement. Has anybody been there? Perhaps we are not alone. So join with me this morning as we look at the problem of deception and let God expose any that might be found in us. I really want to let you weigh your own heart as I've been weighing my own. We're going to look at a particular problem that the Colossian church was dealing with. But before we identify the problem, we must recognize the great irony of deception. I heard a pastor years ago identify this irony that's up here as the deception of deception. It was a message probably 30 years ago. I've never forgotten it. There was just one point of like a 15-point message about deception. But that was the one I hung on to, the deception of deception. And here's what he said. The biggest problem about being deceived is that you don't know you're deceived because you are like deceived. You ever thought about that? The biggest problem about being deceived is you don't know you're deceived because you are deceived. That's the supreme irony about it. Ironically, as I was driving here this morning, I thought about that pastor who I greatly admired. I followed every word. I loved his preaching. I loved his style. I loved his teaching. And he had a huge movement across the nation of youth. They took the seminar around the nation. And we used pastors from that church, youth pastors, to speak at our conferences when I was a youth pastor. It was powerful. And yet, I believe he fell to a deception. Not that it took him away from faith totally, but I don't believe it was the central truth of the gospel. But if I told you that, many of you would probably agree, yeah, that is not the true gospel, and I wouldn't want to spend time with that. But even he fell to the deception of the deception. How dangerous it is. I'm going to tell you a story about something like that, about getting deceived. When I was hunting, 
My family were all hunters. My father and my oldest brother, who we, whose nickname was Moto, he loved hunting. In fact, he loved it so much, he gave me, I believe, three hunting knives for birthdays or Christmas in a row. He kind of forgot, but that was something he valued, and so he gave me a hunting knife. I didn't know what to do with it. I never used them. I guess you're supposed to dress out a deer. I never did that. I went hunting with my family, and I loved being with them, and I loved the, being out in nature. I never shot anything. I never saw anything to shoot until it was too late. But I helped, I helped, they gave me a special job because I was a distance runner. And we had this huge canyon up above Priest Lake called Gleason Mountain was the, was the area. This huge canyon full of creeks and river, you know, creeks and, um, and uh, little hills and, and ravines and this huge canyon. And so we would wait on the deer stand and freeze our tails off, especially when you're a skinny distance runner. And I was so cold. I couldn't wait till it was time. They said, uh, said uh, if we don't see anything or hear anything at the given hour, 10 o'clock, 9 o'clock, I don't know. We want you to do your job. What was my job? It was to go down through the canyon, climb over logs, go through brush, go through the creeks, go up and down, and continue to move through this entire canyon. It would take maybe an hour to get to Moto's Rock where my brother Moto was standing. And he was a man's man. He would always get the deer. And he wouldn't get cold. He was like Clint Eastwood in our family. He would just stare. And he'd bite off the ice off his beard and wait. So, I'm, that, this particular day, it was foggy. I couldn't see more than 20 feet ahead of me. I couldn't see the landmarks, and so I went down through the ravine, going up and down the trails, and after a while, I wasn't sure where I was, but I kept moving, and I knew if I kept going to my right and kept going uphill, I would run into the trail on top of the mountain, not where Moto's Rock, but at least I'll be okay. So I kept turning and kept turning, kept moving, kept moving, and to, to, all I could figure out is I have to have gotten there. Why am I not there? And it got worse, and it got worse. And finally, I got to be, be the point where I realized I was lost. And I was scared. And then I went for another 20 minutes. And finally, I, I was more concerned about my life. And so I committed the one sin that you are told never to commit in hunting. And that is to say something, to yell, and scare the deer away. But I was so panicked, and so I... I just cried out. I said, Moto! And he said, yeah. He was standing about 10 feet from me <laughs> on Moto's rock, as he was supposed to. I was there. But I didn't know I was lost. I didn't know it. What I really needed is this. I needed a compass. And I, if I had a compass, and it would have been helpful if he was just due north, then I could just keep following a few years ago, a young man came to us and asked for help. His life was shattered. He was hopelessly lost, and he knew it. He wasn't a believer, didn't want to be, but he knew, and this is what he said, I need a moral compass. So he started coming here. He started going to our home group, and he found the compass that he was looking for. But he also found the only thing that makes the compass work, true north. Jesus. 
book of Colossians addresses a serious problem of that day, but it does mostly by pointing out the solution. The solution is Jesus. Solution is Christ. As the gospel song from the 70s says, Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above him, there is no other. Jesus is the way. Jesus is true north. And if Jesus is true north, what deception is, what gets you off course is very simple. It's getting off true north. Now you could be one degree off true north. You could be 180 degrees off true north. It's called true south. Bad, south for Satan. But <laughs> anything off, in a sense, is deception. How many understand that? Now, here's a way to think about it, too. Deception is always this. Next slide. It's always Jesus plus or Jesus minus. Very simple. Jesus plus one degree to the right. Jesus plus one or minus one degree to the left. That's deception. Maybe minor deception. Maybe major deception. That's deception. John 1.14 says this. Jesus came from the Father full of grace and truth. So anytime, here's one way to think about it. Anytime I'm embracing something that is not full of truth, no matter how fine sounding it may be, then it is not the way of Jesus. I'm very concerned that we have, as a culture, we have lost a commitment to truth. We're more committed to power, to our tribe, than we are to truth. I can, a few months ago, I decided I don't want to repeat anything that I don't know is true. I don't know it's factually true. I want to be careful, and I want you to call me out on it. We, we are so careful, we don't want to offend each, each other, which is good. But I'm giving you permission. Call me out. A few years ago, somebody called me out on this next point. It also has to be full of grace. Any stance I take, even full of truth, that is presented without grace is not the way of Jesus. Amen? And somebody called me out on that. They may not even remember they called me out. They're here. They called me out in a subtle way. And I realized, you're right. Last season, Diane and I have repeatedly gotten so dismayed with the culture's abandonment of truth or the frenzy of outrage that we have adopted an outrage of our own. Been there? We didn't feel the presence of God and recognize something was off. But we were so right. And the others, or the other position was so wrong. But somehow, we've gotten off course. How can we find our way back? We need to be two things that's helped us. Often, it was either the truth of God's word, often in daily devotionals, or the grace of Christ's example that brought us back to true north again. Realize this is not the way of Christ. We should have a bold nation of repentance, of people on their knees crying out to get their heart right, to get the truth right. Scholars apparently were not sure of the specific heresy that Paul referred to at the end of the second chapter. It's likely a description of different um, elements of the very real issue that was infecting the church in that season. But for our application, what we're going to do is we're going to take this later section in chapter 2, which you can look at. We're going to break it into three different parts. We're going to look at this. We're going to look at three religious ways that we get deceived and can feel good about it. The first 
This is from Colossians 2, 16 to 23. The first is, is the deception of ritual. It says this, Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or in regard to a religious festival or a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Especially in the first century of the church, it was very tempting for Jewish believers to get pulled back into putting their trust into religious observance rather than Christ. There's something comforting and nostalgic about religious ritual. It's certainly part of the appeal of liturgical churches. We can, it can ease my guilt, smooth my troubled soul. I don't have to wrestle with God. Listen to him. Repent when I'm convicted. I can continue as before, but feel better because the God box has been checked. Now, in our type of church, it may not may be going to church regularly, being in a small group, having a regular devotional time. Have you ever been doing those things faithfully but not been seeking God? I have. The Old Covenant outlined a whole set of religious observances for the, God's people to follow. However, the rituals and festivals were never the point in and of themselves, were they? The Scripture actually says that they're actually a shadow of what was to come. What was so wrong with these rituals? Nothing. But the reality is found in Christ. The reality is found in Christ. So, say with me. The reality is found in Christ. Apparently you didn't get the prompt. Say with me. The reality is found with Christ. Wow, all thousand and some of you I heard. That was beautiful. And the people at home. Ritual make, may make us feel good, but there's something better available. You know, there are layers of depth of knowing Christ. And I think sometimes, like, in the, like the kids in the video game, Ben, you get to level two, and you feel it's pretty good, and then you kind of get bored with that level until you conquer that level and get to level three, four, five, six, and, then, and, and it keeps developing, I've heard. But Space Invaders didn't develop very far when I, when I, <laughs> I was playing a video game. Okay, so what we need to do is not look for something else or, or just settle. We need to keep digging and searching and growing. There's deeper levels. We must not settle to just get comforted. Jesus did his work to see us set free and transformed. We must not settle for anything less. Jesus called us to follow him. For the Christ follower, that is the one and overarching rule for life. He is true north. Only following him to truly satisfy so we got the deception of ritual. Second, the deception of what Matt called the YouTube prophet. Now, I was kind of thinking right before, there's hardly any people here. But what if somebody posts this on YouTube? I don't know how to do that, Richard. So he posts this on YouTube, and it goes viral. It goes around the world. People start following. They send messages to this church. Kelly the prophet, I want to hear more. Diana, I heard, paid somebody $50 to come here. But if I'm the YouTube prophet, many people will tune in. <laughs> it wasn't true, I don't think, but that's what Richard told me. Um, so this is, I'm calling it the YouTube prophet. It says in the scripture, it says this, Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you for the prize. 
Such a person goes into great detail about what he has seen, and his unspiritual mind puffs him up with the idle notions. He has lost connection with the head from the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments, and its sinews grows as God calls it, causes it to grow. Now, this trap, I believe, is especially tempting for those of us who believe in the gift of prophecy and supernatural manifestations of the Spirit. This type of church, we believe in that. It's especially a trap for us. It's quite intoxicating to experience the presence of God and see the evidence of the gifts of the Spirit through someone. Us charismatics, if you know that term, are thirsty for more of the Spirit and longing for a deeper revelation of God. And I just said, that's good. Then along comes someone who claims to have special knowledge or spiritual insight. Then they may call us to follow them in this new way. Yes, Jesus, but Jesus plus this deeper revelation. So I'm going to give you some signs of the YouTube prophet being off. Number one, it's in the scripture, false humility. He may claim to be just like you and me, but everything in his tone, attitude, criticism of others, and distancing from common people speak of his pride. I've seen several churches get off track. We've, been, we've experienced several experiences where, people, where churches have gotten off. In every case, every case, pride was very evident in the key leader. There is a celebrity pastor recently back east who was exposed and lost his position, lost his following. He was not only a celebrity pastor, he was a pastor of celebrities. He was hip, he was cool. And there were some good things that were happening. But when I was reading about, he, got a, he, he had the double life, he was living a, an immoral relationship, he had an immoral relationship outside of his marriage. And, but when I was reading about it and saw, saw some interviews about it, about the situation, about the scandal, it was really interesting because apparently like interns who, who worked in this church, who wanted to work for this guy because he was, he was so amazing, they were told, they were instructed, don't talk to him unless he talks to you. Don't look at him in the face. He would come, he would do his thing, and then he'd, he'd, he'd leave. He was the YouTube prophet. There's something wrong with that. And they should have seen it, and they even talk about it now. We should have seen something was wrong. They didn't have to know about all the things going on behind the scenes. They could see how he was relating. You guys follow? Something wrong. We need to test the spirit. Second, special revelation. He goes into great detail about what he has seen. The focus is not on the clear word of God, but special insight has only been given to him. Mormon founder Joseph Smith, you know him? Claims to have been visited by the angel Moroni and given golden tablets with greater revelation. Now, most of us scoff at him having an angel visit him. Maybe an angel did. An angel of darkness, seriously. The point is not whether an angel visited him or not, or if he, he had that experience or not. The point is, is what is it the gospel? And the Apostle Paul says an amazing thing that I love. He says, if, I or an, if we are an angel or anyone else come and preach you any different gospel, let us or let them be accursed. Paul is saying, as soon as I start to get off, mark it. Don't follow. And I would say that, I know Matt well enough to know Matt would agree. So everybody, listen, as soon as Matt starts to get off, we're leaving, or we're, we're calling him out first, okay? How many agree? Let's do it. Healthy churches aren't following a specific leader. They're following True North. 
Yeah, some of you got it. Jesus. You learned well at grade at uh, Sunday school. Now, the, the last thing about this uh, YouTube prophet, not, they're not connected to the head or the body. This is huge. I get concerned. Now, listen to this, all of you throng. I get concerned anytime an individual at church seemed to only quote the same author or leader. Ever heard that? I'm serious. No matter how godly that leader may be, I'm concerned that leader also is not being influenced by other leaders. And we can tell how a leader is connected to the head by this. We just talked about this earlier. The truth test and the grace test. We are called to test prophecies to see if they are true. If they turn out to be true, then we, and if they line up with the word of God, that's the standard, the easiest standard of truth. Um, if they don't, we are to throw out them or their teachings as false prophecies. Amen? It goes for anybody. That's the call. Second, we are called to test the spirit. In 1 John 4, 1, it says, test the spirits to see if they are from God. A word from Jesus should smell like Jesus. 2 Corinthians 2.15 says this, For we are to God the sweet aroma of Christ. During this last season, I haven't... So much of what I hear from Christians and from leaders does not smell like Jesus. And recently, I started listening to some messages from John Mark Comer, who we were not going to idolize, but that's where a church came out of. And it was like, it's been so refreshing, like, yes, that's it. And I'd say, too, what I hear from Matt or Tracy or um, sometimes from me or something is, you know, hopefully, it's like, yes, that's, that's the gospel, that's the thing. But we get so easily distracted, often we're distracted in this present culture, by what we're against. John Mark Cover calls it, says the, the definition of tribalism is it's, being, it's a group defined more by what they are against, what they hate, than what they're for. You guys see that? Because you listen to it, and you think, yes, that is wrong. And by the way, often it's taking the, the most obscure example, sometimes even not a true example, might even be true about something that happens somewhere, like, I can't believe where our culture is going. And that becomes the focus, our outrage from the following Christ. Years ago, I was involved in the pro-life movement. And not that I, and I'm still very committed, but I was involved, and there was a, there was a leader in the nation that was, that was leading people, leading Christians in a, in, a, in a totally new way, a fresh, powerful, bold way to stand up for the unborn. And he came to speak at the church that we were going to. And we invited people from all over the city. So all kinds of pro-life came and people came and heard this young man preach. And he was full of passion, full of fire, full of zeal. He was inspirational. He was compelling. And then at one point, he talked about the, the president of the National Organization of Women, a pro-abortion group. And he talked about this woman who was older, an older lady. She was quite honestly very unattractive. And he, he compared her to this character of a well-known figure that's kind of, anyway, if I told you, you, I didn't want to tell you, but if I told you what it was, you'd say, oh yeah, that's not 
an appealing comparison. And everybody laughed. He was mocking her. There's something un-Jesus-like about that. And even as a young man, something to be said, no, that's not right. Later on, things started unraveling his life. And I hadn't, found, I hadn't followed him at all. And I yesterday literally looked up, you know, kind of biographical note, notes in, uh, in Wikipedia about it. His life has been an absolute mess, unraveled in so many different ways. It was sad. It was broken. Somehow he got off. And that was just one sign that day. Now, on the other hand, another pro-life leader who's in Spokane, who's still here, still leading, um, and Nick, I'm sure, knows him, Jim Anderson, who I have great respect for. Same time period, he was leading a meeting, and, and I heard him say this. He said, when we fight the dragon, we need to be very careful not to take on the spirit of the dragon, or we become the dragon. Again, it's the same young man. It's like, that's good. And that's what we're talking about this morning. I'm convinced that one of the greatest errors of the church in America today is this. Many of us have become so obsessed in fighting the dragon that we have taken on the dragon spirit. And we need to rise up and call it out in our own selves, first of all. We'd say, no, this is not right. But we're finding, Diane and I found the way to do that without offending people is to point them back to true north. If I call out what's wrong about their wrong, they could be offended. But if I re re redirect them to the person of Jesus and their, their strong believers, they recognize often, yes. Because that tells us how we're going off is it's not the standard. We are thinking that we are fighting a holy war, but we're not fighting it, fighting it in a holy way. Have you found yourself there? I have. So, what's the solution to the YouTube prophet guy? <laughs> You're getting it. That's the solution. We should be testing. He may have great things to say. Well, we'll listen. What lines up with Jesus? Follow. Be inspired. Colossians 2, 2 and 3 says, There's a mystery of God in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. His name is Jesus. The problem is always getting off true north. The solution is simple. Getting back to true north. So that's in you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, or Christ is seated at the right hand of God. This is the, the um, section we're going to hit next that Matt's going to come and preach next week. So everybody's got to be here. Invite all of your friends. Invite your neighbors. All of Spokane, if we can fit. Because it's going to be a great message. Diana and I have been coming back to this over and over again. Now, don't show this next slide yet because it's out of order a little bit. So there's three religious ways to get deceived and feel good about it. The religious... Um, the um, Deception of ritual, and this is the last one we're going to talk about. Deception of the YouTube prophet. And finally, the deception of extra rules. I'm, I'm this little graphic or a picture, I'm, we're going to wait. Um, since you've been died with Christ, the basic problem of this world, why as though you still belong to it? Can you go to that? The scripture? I guess I didn't highlight. Okay, just listen. 
Since you have died with Christ, the basic principles of this world, why as though you still belong to it, you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These are all destined to perish with use because they are based on human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have the appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Have you ever noticed it's hard to follow Jesus? It is. How much easier it is to follow a set of rules. If I only had a system for discipleship and 10 easy steps, or, or a path for holiness, or a way to date that gets me married to a problem-free spouse and avoids all the hurt and mess. I have an idea with that issue. How about I kiss dating goodbye? Now you can show that picture if you want. How many know that? I'm familiar with this. How many read it? Just out of curiosity. Okay. A huge generation of Christians, in a sense, were raised on, the, on a lot of the concepts for that book. And, and I never read the book. But my wife and I, who teach a marriage singleness class, we use a lot of some of the concepts, I believe, that, that, that are in there, some of them. But it created a whole system that added to what the gospel says. And what this book did, it took the confusion of dating and the heartbreak of serial sexual relationships for the, and traded it for the wonders of courting, involving your parents and hearing from God to bring you that special someone. If I just check all the boxes, a young woman or a man might say, do it right, then God will give me a great marriage. God does give us boundaries. And there are powerful kingdom principles that we can follow. But our tendency is to add to what God has already said. You guys follow this? And that's what I believe the book did. Thinking that will save us from the gut-wrenching work of seeking, waiting, listening, trying to obey, recalibrating, repenting, and seeking more. That's how we follow God. It's not simple. It's not a textbook. So there's a whole generation of Christians raised with the, in the pathway described in this book. For some people, it's a wonderful blessing, honestly, from following some of these patterns. For others, it created an unhealthy pattern of expectation and manipulation. Has anybody seen that or felt it themselves? In some cases, following the system took precedent over discernment and following the Lord. Many people were hurt and disillusioned in the process. The sad postscript of this is that the author recently disavowed much of what he wrote, left his wife, and left the faith. And I believe a lot of the reason that he may have done that is he was so broken by all the feedback he got years later from people who were telling him of how much what he, when they tried to follow it and how much it hurt them, that he was broken with that, disillusioned. And who knows what, what happened with his marriage. There's a solution to the deception of extra rules. The solution, once again, is? <laughs> you got it. And other people, because of the heat, you're falling asleep, we're almost done, okay? True North. Colossians 3.2, the second verse Matt's going to talk about next week. You're welcome, Matt. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. I don't know how many times the last few months, Diane and I have done this. We've been struggling. We wake up in the morning, we read the news. Maybe that's the problem. 
but we're just struggling with personal, with pain about people in our lives, uh, about things in the culture, with anger, with hurt, with fear, with so many things. And we've been parking out in this, and then we reread this verse right here. But, and the verse before, but set your heart on the things above. Here, set your mind on the things above, not on earthly things. And in, in, an, in, a, in a few moments, we go from anger and fear and frustration and depression, anxiety, to peace, conviction, love, patience, gentleness. You guys follow? We, came, we come back to true north, and it's the scripture that does it. I'm going to close with, the, with, believe it or not, we're closing. I'm looking at Coulter. His, everything about his face, he's being nice, but his, his, his body is telling me, his red face is telling me, we need to close. And I agree. Yes. <laughs> now it's the time for it. Okay. So it is hot. It's one of the hottest messages that's been preached here in a long time. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I'm going to tell you about a prophecy that I got, a prophetic dream. And I'm totally serious. I'm totally serious. I've had maybe, I think maybe four prophetic dreams in my lifetime that I woke up. You know, most dreams you don't remember and you wake up or whatever, or they're just so weird. You know, I don't know. I woke, I, in the dream, it was so right and so real. I felt the spirit on me and I woke up and I, and, and, and later when Diana woke up, I told her about this dream. I just was, it just felt so, so right. So I want you to listen to this dream. I want you to follow me in this dream. Don't judge it. Don't test it. <laughs> okay, I'm kidding, okay? <laughs> test it. It may sound great. You may be inspired. You may be challenged. It may change your life. But test it, right? Test the truth and test the spirit. I have to test it too. So here's the dream. Um, I'm, I'm in somewhere, as dreams are, you don't know exactly where you are, but here's the setting. It's like we're in the, we're in the mall that people used to go to shop like a mall kind of setting, and there's kind of some stairways and some escalators and some balconies and different floors and some open areas like that. You guys follow? Some rooms. And, and I went and sat down with Diana, and there's some like kind of mini bleachers, and there's a guy speaking, and he's got like a whiteboard, and he's writing some things, and he's teaching something. And the more he teaches, and there's people in other pockets of people kind of listening to people teaching and talking. And I believe this may be a picture of the church. This is one faction of the church. And as we were, we were sitting there, and this guy's teaching, it became clear, more and more clear what he's teaching is not the gospel. It's not true north. There's error in this. And it became, I became aware of this, and I wanted to do something about it. And I... I had a dream years ago, kind of like this in some ways, but I, I stood up and rebuked this person just boldly. But in this case, I grabbed Diana and I said, this is not right. And we went over and we started talking to each other. And we started talking about it. And I just felt this anointing of the spirit. And I don't believe this is about me. I believe this is about the church and, the, and our call for you and me, but not just about me. But I felt this anointing of the Holy Spirit just on me. And I was just so clear with the true gospel the glorious, simple, unadulterated gospel. And I wanted to share it. And I just thought, we need to gather. And I told Diana and some other people that had gathered around me, I said, we need to gather people, quick. 
This is it. This is the time. We need to gather people. Go up and get people from, the, from this side and this side. And somebody handed me a microphone, and I went over and I stood. I got to stay by the camera. I forgot. And I stood kind of in this open area where people could see from the balconies and everything, and they handed me this microphone. And I, you know, should I wait? No, just wait for a little more. We're gathering more people. People started gathering around. Why? I don't know. I was a YouTube prophet, maybe, but they started gathering around. And I had this, like, handheld little microphone with the foam on it. And I was going to share the gospel, and I was just so, so sure that it was just going to set people free, and people are going to be redirected from their deception. This is a chance. This is a chance for the church to rise up and come back to true north. And I was about to share that. And it happens in dreams like this. The full microphone was by my mouth, and I was about to share, and it's kind of waiting, and I started to kind of nibble on the foam for some reason. (laughs) That's gross. That was the end of the dream. (laughs) So it wouldn't be a dream if I didn't have some weird thing happen. So why am I telling you this? Because I believe that I want this morning, with all the people that are here and everything, but I believe that God would want to call the church back, gather people, and gather them not to this person, that person, this denomination, or this movement, or this, but back to true north, back to the Jesus movement. There was a true revival when we were growing up, when Jenny and Tracy were growing up, that we got caught up, and we, we got saved, and we got caught, we caught a version of the Jesus virus that hasn't left us. It was a serious uh, version of it. It was called the Jesus people movement. I don't think God is going to do the same thing in the same way, but he's going to do something that's calling people back to the simple truth of Jesus. So I'm aching for revival to be pure Jesus. I like that we came out of a Jesus church. Let's wake up every day and seek to follow Jesus. Nothing more and nothing less. Let's pray.